In spite of a plethora of upsets that involved ranked teams, my top 10 did not change much from week 7 compared to week 8. I cannot say the same for my top 25, especially from number 25 to number 15, but from number 15 to number 10, and especially number 10 to number 1, there were little, if any, changes made to this week's top 10, top 15, and most of the changes in the top 10 really are cosmetic. If you want to see my full top 25 list, there will be a rank to my community post that I post weekly discussing my top 25, and I will also type it down below in the comment section, and also in the description. Heck, why not? So today, obviously, we're talking about my top 10 teams entering week 8. So before we begin this video, please remember to subscribe as it helps the channel out a lot, and click the notification bell so you won't miss when I post new top 10 videos, college football preview and prediction and reaction and analysis videos. Comment your own top 10, top 15, top 25. I don't really care. Just comment who you think the best teams in college football in the United States are right now. Like this video, subscribe, click the notification bell, and also please check out my Patreon page via the link in the description. My Patreon page has special content if you're an All-American or Heisman patron, which focuses on my power rankings. I power rate teams weekly 1 to 69 because there are 69 power 5 teams, and my potential power ranking system ranks all Power 5 teams, hopefully next year I get to rank the group of 5 teams as well, and Potential Power's goal is to accurately predict games and point spreads weekly. Right now we are above 500 in the spread, I'd say close to 600 against the spread, and we're above 750 in predicting games all time since week 4, or at least around 750. Primarily Potential Power focuses on ranked matchups, but also tries to predict all games with two Power 5 opponents. So check out that down below if you want some help predicting games or you just you know want to see what a computer model with my own opinions and how that thinks, if you're curious, somewhat how we like to check out ESPN's FPI from time to time on the channel, or I know individually a lot of college football fans will take a peek at FPI or other prediction machines. But regardless, let's dive into this show, and at number 10, we have the Oregon State Beavers. Oregon State's 6-1. They earned their sixth win against UCLA in a 36-24 win. They're 3-1 in the Pac-12, and let me tell you, I have been impressed with Silas Bolden, that wide receiver core. Uh, Damian Martinez and their offensive line are elite and DJ Uyunglele right now is top 10 in QBR. If my memory serves me correctly, in fact, he's 7th in QBR. The overall offense for this team is nuts. In my mind, they're a top 5 offense nationally. UCLA has an elite, near-elite, great defense, and they smashed that defense's head open. The problem with Oregon State is their overall defense is suspect, which is strange because they have talent, they have a good defensive coordinator in scheme, but there just isn't something right. Pieces aren't gelling together. 
I think it might have to do with their overall talent limitations. Oregon State for a Power 5 program is one of the lowest blue chip ratios in the country, and that's something that I've mentioned over and over again that I think can come back to bite them. I've had Oregon State in my top 10, more specifically in my top 15, for the whole season and in the top 10 for much of the season. Right now, the AP poll and I think coaches poll finally have them top 15. So the Beavers have been gaining respect nationally that we on this channel, including commenters, subscribers, we've talked about the Beavers in top 25 videos and Pac-12 prediction videos. They're finally getting the respect that we've been talking about for a while. They have underrated skill position play. They can run the football. And they do have great players at their defensive line, safety, corner, linebacker. And I think Jonathan Smith is a top 10 head coach. The question is, can their defense gel together? Can the offense and DJ Uyungle continue their success? And with how Washington State's played, is that loss concerning? And how do we view that loss moving forward? Because Oregon State can, in my mind, totally go to the Pac-12 championship game. But that loss certainly leaves a mark, especially with Washington State's 6-44 to loss to Arizona. Boy, that's embarrassing that I had Washington State at number 10 at some point. It, it's just lunacy. Let's forget that that happened. At number 9, we have Texas. Texas had a bye in Week 7. Uh, this week, I forget Houston. Almost forgot who they faced. They faced the fighting Dana Holgersons who beat West Virginia on one of the most toxic Hail Marys and in one of the most toxic games I've ever seen. It, it's the most Dana Holgerson thing in the world to give up a touchdown pass on 4th and 10 or 4th and 15, whatever, that was only supposed to be a 15, 20-yard completion that turns into a 50-yard touchdown. And then to score on your own terms with a long pass. Most Dana Holgerson thing to do. Um, I think Texas will destroy Houston, personally. But they had a bye. Their overall offense is their strength. They have players like Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, Quinn Ewers. There's a lot of questions surrounding him in my books. I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback. He may not even be a top 15 quarterback. And whether it was against... Oklahoma this season, other games this year, like against Rice, he had some struggles. Last year, he was pretty up and down. I'm not a big fan of Quinn Ewers. I just, I have to put that out there. But at defensive tackle, Texas is phenomenal. At tight end with Jatavion Sanders, when he's healthy, he's one of the best tight ends in America. In fact, with Brock Bowers being injured, he might be the best tight end in America. And by potential and raw talent, I'd say right now he is. And Jonathan Brooks was named as a mid-season All-American by ESPN. So Texas has skill position talent. Um, Kelvin Banks at offensive line, tackle specifically, and other linemen as well. It's a very experienced group, good pass protection, good run blocking, one of the best play callers in the world in Steve Sarkeesian. Their clutch ability they have to work on because they gave that game to Oklahoma and knowing Texas and the history of Texas, not just from the memes or from their prior history, but also under Steve Sarkeesian, they've lost several games where they had a lead in or they were favored up until the fourth quarter and then they collapsed. And 
they can't afford another one of those this season if they want to go to the playoff. And it looks like Oklahoma, with their schedule, will likely rematch with them in the Big 12 championship game. So they need to work on their clutch ability. Their red zone offense must improve. Same with their special teams. But Texas, still a top 10 team in my book. And speaking of the team that beat them, number eight, Oklahoma. Uh, Much like the JP poll, I'm someone who has my own criticisms of Josh Pate, although I don't think Josh Pate even knows who I am, understandably so. Um, Although I'd love to have him on the show or try and get on his show at some point, that'd be an epic goal of mine. Something that I agree with him a lot, I found myself really being step-in-step with him on things, is power ratings. Now, his power rating system is just who would be favored over who. I take mine a step further and try and say, well, who would beat who or who should beat who based off of the eye test, advanced analytics, what we know, etc. Um, and I want to get better at that. And part of the journey on Patreon, by the way, that I mentioned earlier, is you get to see potential power progress, grow and evolve. But anyway, potential power has Texas ahead of Oklahoma. In fact, potential power would pick Texas to beat Oklahoma by anywhere from a field goal to a touchdown on neutral field. Before they played each other, it was Texas by about two touchdowns. But Oklahoma, with the head-to-head win, is ahead of Texas, and they outplayed Texas as well head-to-head. And with Dylan Gabriel, Jackson Arnold as his backup, with Jalil Farouk, Nick Anderson— with great defensive players, especially at the lines of scrimmage and a Bill Biedenball offensive line, I like what I see from Oklahoma. Do I think they have the same ceiling as Texas? No. By the way, they were also on a bye in Week 7, and they're 6-0, and 3-0. Dylan Gabriel, I think, is one of their best players, if not their best player. I think that's the one position Oklahoma is elite at, is quarterback. Everywhere else from how I understand, they're just great. Maybe near elite, but not elite in my mind. Losing Andrew Anthony at wide receiver hurts, but again, circle back. Jalil Farouk, Nick Anderson, Drake Stoops, they have depth at wide receiver. The run game has to improve if this team wants to reach the college football playoff. Um, Texas, they're fa- they'd be favored over Oklahoma in a rematch. Potential power, and I think many other power rankings would agree Texas should beat Oklahoma in a rematch. I personally would pick Texas to beat Oklahoma in a rematch. Oklahoma can prove the world power rankings and myself wrong if they get better at running the football. And the more games they play, I think the better Oklahoma will become. Because even though I don't think they have the same high ceiling that maybe Texas does, they're top 10 in total roster talent. So their ceiling is untapped. I think they can be better than what they've showed us so far this season. And they're a pretty darn good football team. That's why they're eighth in my poll. And number seven, we have Florida State. Florida State only moved ahead of Oklahoma really because Oklahoma was on a bye. But more importantly, because Keon Coleman A looked insane with that one-handed ladder catch with another deep pass catch. And Florida State one-upped North Carolina. North Carolina beat Syracuse 40-something to 10 Florida State, 41-3. I mean, they crushed Syracuse. 6-0, 4-0 in the ACC, 
Um, they had a better game against Syracuse than they've had in a lot of their other games, whether it's against Boston College, Southern Miss, Clemson, Virginia Tech. Florida State looked good. Their running game, I still have questions about, but skill positions, especially wide receiver, I think this is a top five, top six, top seven, top eight wide receiver room. It's it's certainly above top ten in skill, in talent, in athleticism, in football IQ, in depth, everything. That's a great wide receiver room. And tight end with Kyle Morlock and Jaheim Bell defensive end with Jared Verse. The offensive line, Florida State's offensive line has progressively gotten better, and this has helped their run game. And Jordan Travis is a high upside quarterback. However, I need to see them. I I need to see them be tested because LSU defensively looks like dog water. They They look like wet dog defensively. And holding Auburn to 18 points doesn't count. If anything, that is... Not a good defensive performance because Auburn doesn't really have an offense. And Clemson, they have a big test against Miami, and I wouldn't be surprised if Miami beats Clemson. So I think Florida State, to show that they're better than 7th or perhaps even worse than that, I know a lot of power rankings have Florida State even lower than I do, potential power has Florida State at 7th and you know 7th, 8th, around there. So I'm I'm actually higher on Florida State than quite a lot of people are, which is shocking. But they have a good resume. They have tons of talent. The question is their floor and their rush offense and defense needs to take a step forward. But they have elite players like Keon Coleman, for example, which always helps. And number six, we have the Penn State Nittany Lions. Six and zero, three and zero. They beat UMass sixty-three to nothing. You know it was funny. When the whole world was looking at Penn State UMass and picking UMass to cover, I made that mistake when I picked UMass to cover against Auburn. Auburn's atrocious offense put up 50 on that team. And James Franklin, James Franklin loves to cover and destroy teams that are inferior to Penn State. That's just facts. Look at last year, look at prior years, look at when he iced, I think it was Georgia Southerns or Georgia State's kicker in 2017 when his team was winning like 40 or 50 something to nothing. I mean, Penn State loves to just eat these small teams alive. Very much reminds me of Michigan when they had Don Brown in 2018 or 17 or 16 when they eat these small teams alive. The question for Penn State, of course, They're facing Ohio State this weekend. Can they finally get it done against a team that is comparable to them or better than them in terms of talent? Penn State has always had a problem punching above their weight class. This is something that Michigan over the past two seasons has excelled at, um, with Ohio State in particular. Georgia, not so much, but with Ohio State, who's well above their weight class and talent, Michigan's been able to pummel them into submission in those games by the end. Penn State rushes for over 200 yards per game. They've looked, they've certainly passed the eye test on defense and recently on special teams in their six games. Offensively, I don't think they've passed the eye test, and I think overall their offense is a weakness, specifically in the passing game department. But 
They have Nicholas Singleton. They have Catron Allen. Allen right now leads the team in rushing yards. And Drew Aller is thrown for 12 touchdowns, no interceptions, and is 26th in QBR. So he is a modestly efficient quarterback, above average good quarterback, just not great. The question for Penn State, again, is can they punch above their weight class? Can their offense get going? Or maybe they don't do that, but can their defense win games on their own? Because let me tell you, Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson, Donnie Dennis Sutton, um, the defensive end, Curtis Jacobs, Abdul Carter, Dominic DeLuca at linebacker, and then Keaton Ellis, Kaitlin King, Johnny Dixon at defensive back. It's just nuts, and Manny Diaz loves to be aggressive. So, oh, don't forget about Daquan Hardy. He returned two punts for touchdowns against UMass. Again, against UMass, but it's impressive nonetheless. Penn State, I think, is a top-six football team right now, and they have more than a shot of going into Columbus and pulling off a win. Last week, Ohio State was fifth, but with a performance against Vanderbilt that, I mean, there were there was a Georgia fan in a college football chat that I'm in. Indiana was beating Michigan by seven off of a trick play, and this Georgia fan was laughing, saying that there's no way Michigan's number one. Well, Michigan had a bad day and won 52 to 7. Georgia didn't punt the whole game and they only won by 17 against Vanderbilt, who objectively is worse than Indiana. Um I digress. Brock Bowers his injury sucks because he helps Carson Beck get comfortable, he helps the offense find rhythm. Florida is looking better than expected. Tennessee has a legitimate defense, though their offense is circle back to the wet dog term. Ole Miss is threatening with Pete Golding as DC and then Jackson Dart and Quinshawn Judkins and Caden Reescorn and Trey Harris, I think is the name of their star wide receiver. But Georgia right now, I'd still say wins all of those games. The question is, does what I think come true? And does Brock Bowers opt out for the rest of the season? Maybe takes it easy? Does he fully recover? Like, is he himself if he comes back? There are questions. Luckily, Georgia has a bye week before playing Florida. And I think that they'll sort some of this out over the bye week. They're 7-0, and 4-0. They beat Vanderbilt 37-20. to They're elite at secondary. Malachi Starks is the best defensive back in all of college football, best safety for sure. Uh, and then Dalen Everett, Tyke Smith, they have elite players there. On the offensive line, Cedric Van Pran is the nation's best center. And I still think at tight end, I'm listing them as having elite players because Brock Bowers, in theory, should be able to come back by the SEC championship game or at least the postseason. Georgia will definitely be participating in the postseason. They're already bowl eligible, and I still expect them to be 13-0 or 12-1, but we'll just have to see what the future holds. The injury will hurt Georgia's title hopes, no doubt. And right now, I look at Georgia, and I do think there are four teams that have a better shot of winning the title than Georgia does. And I will say, if Penn State played in a division as wide open as Georgia, depending on how Penn State performs this week, I might say that Penn State would have a better chance at that shot. 
but Penn State is a much tougher schedule. They play two top four teams in all of college football, in my opinion. Speaking of which, here's the Ohio State Buckeyes. They moved up because they did exactly what I expected them to do against Purdue. Meanwhile, Georgia, for example, disappointed. Consequentially, Ohio State moves up a spot. They're 6-0, 3-0 in the Big Ten. Their overall defense is, I think, one of the best in the country. They crushed Purdue, as I've already mentioned. Marvin Harrison Jr. has, or it's, I think, over 600 or just over 600 receiving yards, averaging 19.5 yards per attempt, or not attempt, but reception, pardon me. Travion Henderson, when he's in the running back room, along with Trainum, Williams, Hayden, and Johnson, that's one of the deepest running back rooms in all of college football. Michael Hall, Tyleek Williams, Ty Hamilton, that's an elite defensive tackle room full of potentially three NFL players. A corner, Denzel Burke, Jordan Hancock, and then Josh Proctor at free safety, and Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers at linebacker. We talked about Penn State's defense. This Ohio State defense, I think, is better. I do. And offensively, um, better as well. I think that's I think that's more obvious, though, outside of the offensive tackle position where Penn State is Olu Fashanu, and Ohio State has been almost poetically bad there all season long. The Buckeyes have to figure out the offensive line, speaking of that, because I think the three teams ahead of them, this is my thought of... What would happen right now? I, I tend to rank my top 10, top 25 off of resume, what you've done so far in the season. That's why Oklahoma's ahead of Texas. If I only ranked based off of the eye test and who I thought was the better team and, and disregarded schedule, I'd have Texas ranked ahead of Oklahoma. I think they're the better team. Um, But I take what you've done, how you've won, who you've beaten, strength of record as the season goes on, I begin to take that into account. I really do. Potential power, for example, is your potential, your total talent, and it's different. It doesn't take record into account. Potential power has Ohio State at two, and I discussed this in in my Penn State versus Ohio State preview and prediction video. Potential power is higher on Penn State or Ohio State, and also Penn State, than I am currently, despite the fact that potential power is Penn State at six. Um, Regardless, these three teams ahead of Ohio State, I think, would probably kill them on a neutral field, especially given offensive line concerns. Um, And by kill them, that means anywhere from beating them by 10 to, like, three touchdowns, but in the sense that Ohio State would be hard-pressed to play for a full four quarters before these teams maybe pull away in the fourth. And that's no disrespect to Ohio State, but the offensive line and the run game has to be figured out. And I think the run game will get figured out with Henderson, but these teams don't just have elite offenses. They have elite defenses as well. But Ohio State, depending on what they do against Penn State, can totally climb up this list and I think Ohio State still is one of the highest ceilings, if not the highest ceiling in all of college football. We just haven't seen them come close to that ceiling yet. Oregon at number three. And I want to spend time especially on the top four, because I'm passionate about these top four teams. Oregon, I think, neutral field, heck even Columbus. I 
think they're better than Ohio State. Oregon, in the same way with the two teams ahead of them, you really have to dig deep to find weaknesses. And for Oregon, I think it's their overall defense, but Washington is a top two offense and probably the best offense in all of college football right now. So the fact that Oregon was able to make them punt and get pressure on them, I think shows that their defense is great to near elite. Then again, Washington and Texas Tech are the only offenses with a pulse. Maybe Colorado, but then again, you know, Colorado struggled against Arizona State. Nebraska's defense, if not for Jeff Sims' stupid turnovers, probably would have shut them down, etc. I want to see more from Oregon State's defense, and I think they need to improve there still. There are some holes they can fix, but they faced against Washington, the nation's, I think, most explosive starting wide receivers. Ohio State has the deeper room, and I think the overall better wide receiver. Washington's starting lineup, though, I think is more explosive. And they also face the nation's best quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. So your defense only giving up 36 there, that's, you know, I don't think there's much shame in that. The shame was 0 of 3 on fourth down and, you know, Dan Lanning shooting drugs into his veins and thinking that, you know, being super analytics guy and forgetting that football is also a game of emotions. It's also a game of, you know, you can't control everything. Analytics aren't always on your side. That's why, you know, some guys go for it all the time on fourth down. Sometimes they go five of five. Sometimes they go oh of five. Averages don't translate to every individual, to every football team. They're just averages. And you can't treat averages like they're the end-all, be-all. And Dan Lanning did that. That's why he went full analytics mode. And if he kicked that field goal before half, you give your team momentum. And what's painful is the three points is what ended up costing Oregon this game. And if he kicked another field goal, they they might have won. So a lot of questions. Um, but I didn't lose much respect for Dan Lanning. I just thought that was a, um, it just wasn't a bright moment for him. But 5-1, and 2-1, and one, Oregon being top three despite having a loss, I genuinely think this team's going to win out. I think Lanning will learn from this, and Oregon and Washington will rematch, I think, in the Pac-12 championship game. An elite quarterback in Bo Nix, an elite running back room with, Bucky Irving, Jordan James, Noah Whittington being a third stringer, although he might have been injured. That tells you how deep that running back room is. Wide receiver with Troy Franklin was over 500 receiving yards. And Jackson Powers Johnson, I think, is the, the second best or third best center in all of college football, just behind Cedric Van Pran. Defense must improve, but this offense is one of the best offenses in all of college football. And number two, we have Washington. They're passing offense out, outer worldly, outer space. Penix did not even play his best game against Oregon. He was injured. He was getting pressure. He had a new starting center because the planned starting center got injured and I think is out for the season. No, Washington did. They won. And Penix had a Heisman moment when, after Dan Lanning went for it on fourth down for a third time and failed at midfield, he wanted to end the game. Instead, he gave Michael Penix an opportunity 
to take the lead. And Penix within two plays to Jalen Polk, I believe, and to Roma Dunze. I know that factually. Got a touchdown. And I think Penix is the nation's best quarterback. I think he's going to win the Heisman. I I think in either a week, two weeks, maybe the first week of November, I'm going to start a weekly series where I do weekly New Year's Six Bowl and college football playoff predictions along with Heisman projections in kind of coinciding with the weekly college football playoff rankings. Um, Washington 6-0, and 3-0. They have the number one passing offense, and their passing offense is so good, and they have a good enough O-line, elite enough O-line, and a good enough running back room to where I think that translates to the number one overall offense as well. Elite players at receiver with Adunze, Polk, McMillan, Jackson, Bernard, tight end. They have a great one in Jack Westover. Their offensive line, premium. Defensive tackle and defensive end. This is something that with Washington, you have to look out for. Their you know sack rate is not high, but it's deceitful. They know how to get clutch stops defensively. They know how to get pressure. They're just, they scheme differently with Washington. They have different goals than, let's say, Penn State's defense or Iowa's defense. I mean, each defense plays to their own. They do what they can do. And Washington is one of the best staffs in all of college football. My only gripe about Washington, it's similar to Oregon, it's nitpicking, is team balance. Washington ran Dylan Johnson 20 times for 100 yards against Oregon. Their run game is improving. I still don't think with their new starting center, and especially with their running back room, that they will have a good enough run game to where they can be a balanced team. Then again, I think their passing offense is so good that no one will shut it down. I think Ohio State or Georgia currently has the best secondary in college football right now. And I would be very confident that Washington would hang 30, if not 40 points on both of those teams. I mean, that offense is outer-worldly. Guys are open all the time. Receivers moss defensive backs. Um, Kyrie Jackson, defensive back for Oregon, one of the better defensive backs in the Pac-12, could not cover any one of Washington's receivers. In fact, if Penix rarely overthrew the football or never had too much power in his arm, Washington would have beaten Oregon by double digits. There were guys open all day, but because of pressure from the front and Penix being uncomfortable with pressure and being hurt, there were plenty of misfires. So if the Huskies can become more balanced, this probably would be the number one team in college football. Uh, The team ahead of them, though, I think is a significant lead, in part because they're balanced and also the fact that they have a much better defense, and that is the Michigan Wolverines. Michigan is number one in efficiency, according to ESPN's Efficiency Metrics and Football Power Index. Michigan is number one in average in-game win probability, also according to ESPN. They're number one in yards per point margin. They're number one in points per play margin. They're number one in defensive points per play allowed. And I think offensively, just raw points per play, I think that they're second or third. I mean, this team is outer space. Also, 
yards per play. They're top 10. They're the only Big Ten team, I think, who's top 10 or top 15 in offensive yards per play. They're number three in yards per play allowed on defense. And, well, there's the argument that, well, they haven't played anyone. Well, Penn State hasn't played anyone. And you look at how Michigan and Penn State perform, and and Penn State's a near-elite, elite football team. You look at how Penn State and Michigan perform on the eye test, advanced analytics, um, all that stuff. It's night and day. Michigan is a much better team than Penn State, and I will stand by that. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That opinion could change and probably will change if Penn State waltzes into Columbus and wins, especially if it's convincing. But I'm telling you, they're doing what elite teams do against bad competition. And they're 7-0, they're 4-0. Their stats, in fact, are weighed down by the fact that in their first three games, they had some struggles due to Jim Harbaugh not being there as head coach on the sidelines. So Michigan, I think, is still undersold in a lot of power metrics, a lot of power rankings, and also national rankings. They're better than Georgia right now. They're they're better. They're better than Georgia. Um, And I think they're the number one team in the country. I think, if you want to make an argument, I think you could have Ohio State ahead of Michigan because Ohio State has the tougher strength of schedule. They've beaten a Notre Dame team who's power-rated top 10 by my power rankings, and they're ranked in my top 15, um, and they've played Maryland. They, you know, dominated against Purdue despite losing some key players. They're improving. I think that Washington could be ahead of Michigan at that number one spot. Oregon, if not for their loss, I think could be number one, but you could have Oregon ahead of Michigan if you think that Washington's number one, and then you think Michigan's maybe three or four, and you want to slide in an Oregon, you know, two or three. I I could buy that. I just think Michigan is undisputed a top four football team. I happen to have them at number one. They have yet to face a team who can test them. That, along with nitpicking Big plays in the secondary, which are still extremely rare, and also nitpicking some issues at offensive tackle. That's it. Similar to Washington, similar to Oregon, you have to nitpick for these three teams to find weaknesses. Um, And by the way, all the teams in my top four, next year, those will all be Big Ten teams. So the Big Ten has been very dormant for the past two decades. Um, I think their time to rise and awake If not this season, next year and many seasons to come, the Big Ten, I think they have a large opportunity on their hands and it'd be very foolish of them to waste it. Michigan is elite players with Blake Corum. Donovan Edwards is yet to break out yet, but I think that he will. Colston Loveland is one of the nation's better tight ends. J.J. McCarthy, Roman Wilson, that receiver core, they're great, near elite. I need to see McCarthy play a great team before I list him as an elite quarterback. The offensive line's elite, and with Chris Jenkins defensively, Mason Graham, Jalen Harrell, Mike Sain, still Will Johnson, there are elite players littering that defense. So Michigan is number one. Washington's number two. Oregon's number three. Ohio State is fourth. Georgia's fifth. Penn State's sixth. The Seminoles, Florida State are seven. Oklahoma is 8, Texas is 9, and Oregon State is 10. My my goodness. I love Jonathan Smith. 
I love Pac-12 football. I mean, the offenses are just nuts. And Oregon and Washington have great defenses, too. It's crazy. So thank you all for watching. I want to give a quick shout-out to my patrons, Spencer Bringhurst and Noah DDLC, my All-American patrons, and Will Loftus, Gabriel Calendar, Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale, my All-Conference patrons. Check out my Patreon page via the link in the description, and please remember to like this video, subscribe to the channel, click the notification bell, and comment your thoughts down below. Have a fantastic day, guys.